Good morning. On Saturday, we talked about personalities, right? And before anybody... Let me, let me just stop here and say that my name is Barker and I am the Chief of Therapy. That's a nice title. Chief of Therapy of the Alcoholic Recovery Unit of the Carrier Clinic. But everybody here knows that, so I don't have to go into all that kind of barf. For those of you who have tuned in late, alcoholism is a serious medical illness. It always gets worse and it never gets better. Which means that if you stop drinking here and you start here, you're going to be worse off when you start again than when you stop. That's because the alcoholism as a disease inside you gets worse whether or not you drink. That's why we talk this way about you and what you are and what I am. You and I set up alibis. First of all, we don't like being an alcoholic. We don't like being a drunk. What we would like to do is to be like everybody else. Now, you and I use alibis to help us justify our drinking and our drinking behavior. We don't stop and verbalize and say, now I'm about to lie about my alcoholism so I can fool my wife into thinking I'm okay. We never, ever get to be that articulate about our addiction and our habit. It's our actions that speak instead of our words. Alibis are basic dishonesty. If I gave you a polygraph test, you might show that you believe some of your alibis when you're giving them. But as time goes on, you know they're not true. You know inside as you're doing it that's just plain not true. So we're not honest with ourselves, which is why we turn the coin over and say the only requirement for recovery in this unit is that you must be honest with yourself in your own mind about what has happened to you and about your own inability to handle the chemical ethyl alcohol, C2. H5OH. What's very curious about that formula, it has absolutely no emotional impact on anybody in this room unless you happen to be a, chemi a chemist and kind of weird. But if I talk about old granddad, or I talk about Smirnoff's vodka, or I talk about screwdrivers, or I talk about martinis, or I talk about Manhattans, or I talk about beer, and I talk about Schlitz, or I talk about Budweiser, that's got emotional impact. <coughs> Beverage alcohol is what has emotional impact. But C2H5OH does not. But that's the formula for the alcohol that you and I drink. And the thing that you learn in here is that one 12-ounce can of beer equals one ounce of whiskey, which equals one three-ounce glass of table wine, and they all make you drunk. They all light this fire. The alibi system that your dog brain operates under is the thing that keeps feeding you false information, which allows you then to drink, and then you get drunk. And it's somebody else's fault. You externalize Here's some of the alibis we use. We repress. Repress. This is an interesting kind of a mechanism. We call these things mechanisms, too. We ex exclude from memory the bad things, the nasties, the bad arguments, the fights, the disagreements, the disgust of others. We say to ourselves, I've always been a happy drunk. I only hurt myself. And to you, I say, that's not true. You have effectively damaged 14 other people in your career of alcoholism, at least. The thing is, we repress these memories and we shove them down. And just like they're on a coiled spring, they're going to come back. And they're going to come back whether you want them to come back or not. And they don't necessarily come up and knock on the door and say, Hello there, I'm the bad memory about your wedding night. They just sit there and they go over your shoulder and they give you the feeling of unrest, unhappiness, 
tension, anxiety, apprehension, the feeling of you're not okay. That's what happens. You shove them down, I won't even admit it happened. Screw it. Time goes on and you even forget. But it's sitting there. And it comes and boils up in you, and especially when we get drunk. We repress. Now, the other one is we isolate. How the hell can you isolate? Well, it's very simple. In this business of the isolation, we cut off the bad part of an experience. We remember the good and forget the bad. We may have had a good wedding. We remember the good and forget the bad. We had a good wedding or reception. We had a bad honeymoon. That could be one of the things. Or we didn't have a good reception. Maybe it was your daughter's wedding and you were the one, you're going to be good, you want to exercise your control, you do your absolute best, and what happens is halfway through the thing you turn out to be half smashed and you know it and everybody else knows it, nobody says anything about it, and then later on you fall into something like the furniture or whatever it may be. But it's a repression and an isolation. In other words, your mind is so selective and it becomes so good at it that what it does is it takes the bad part and shoves it down and holds up the good part. I was married in 1943 in a great old time. Good time. It was a great wedding. We went to Bermuda. And between the time you were married and the time you went to Bermuda, all kinds of bad things could have happened. It's just one, ex one example. Now, be honest and think to yourself about those things which you have isolated and you have buried the bad part of a memory and all you talk about is the good part. That's all you talk about is the good part. Another one we have is, is the rationalization. Rationalization. This is a false kind of reasoning. It's a false explanation of bad behavior in terms of acceptable motives or reasons. An example of this is, I'm not lazy, I need to relax. You know, okay, it sounds good, doesn't it? I'm not lazy, I need to relax. The doctor told me to relax. Therefore, I cannot go shopping. That's not quite true. The doctor told you to get off your feet. The doctor told you not to walk around and drink so much. <laughs> I'm not a coward. I'm just cautious. Unacceptable to an acceptable motive. I didn't mean to hurt the kid, but he needed to be corrected. I drink a lot because as a medicine it relaxes me. You and I are famous for using the excuse that alcohol is a medicine, it's a drug, it's therapeutic, it relaxes our arteries and our veins and our heart and it relaxes everything about us and that it's, it's a mild euphoric and it's very good for us. And we use this as a specious excuse. Rationalization is false logic and believe me, we're very good at it. The dog brain, the part that really wants to give us excuses for drinking. Another one that we have has got a long fancy name, reaction formation. Reaction formation. I don't know why that the psychologists have to figure out all this kind of fancy stuff because the alternate to that particular term is even worse. It's counteractive inversion. <laughs> okay. Reaction formation, counteractive inversion, 
means protecting oneself against partially repressed unacceptable tendencies by overextressing the exact exact opposite. You know. What's that mean? <coughs> That's like the lady who protests too much. That's like the alcoholic sat in that chair, not that one, who said, Barker, I was the no-drink alcoholic. I never drank in business. No one ever saw me drink. They never saw me drunk, but they never saw me drink. And it was only up in the last five months that it came out in the open. But what he did was he ran home after he'd been in a social situation. What he did was he sold religious materials, and he could not drink. And this reputation was very important to him, but he slugged it down at home then. We've had other people, I'm the one drink alcoholic, and Sandra Blaine in the movie is one of those. Where in front of the public, what we do is something that appears to be very acceptable, and then we go on to do the unacceptable by ourselves. And don't you realize what this does to us? This gives us a package of guilt, a package of guilt that we find very hard to live with and very hard to get rid of. That's the most interesting thing about our action as alcoholics, is that we're the most moralistic people in the world about alcohol. And what we do is we do the things that we don't like in ourselves and don't want to do. And then the memory of them starts to haunt us. This is why alcoholism for centuries has been considered a moral issue. Because the alcoholic who has the disease is moralistic about it himself. You and I, when we're talking together, when I listen to you, you're talking about how bad you were. When we run a situation up here about adjectives to describe your behavior, every single one of them is bad. When we ask you to describe the alcoholic, he's a liar, a thief, a cheat, a scoundrel, this, that, and everything else. You're talking about he cheats, he's immoral, he does this and he does that. And you have to be prodded into remembering that perhaps you are also charming, lovable, interesting, concupiscent, fun, and so forth. And when you do that, then you realize there is another side of the coin. Alibis, compensation. We've got the greatest alibi system of any kind of patient in this hospital. And this does not mean something like welfare or money or something like that, compensation. If what we are can't be buried or acted away, we offset the, offset the bad tendencies in us by overstressing acceptable motives. Here's a good example of that. Sure, I drink a lot, but I go to church a lot. You know, the two don't connect together, do they? Really? No, they don't connect together. But when somebody gets on our back, we go and admit this thing, and then we stress the uh, something that is acceptable in everybody's book. Sure, I play hard, meaning ding 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 ding. I'm out there swinging. But I also work very hard, too. It's my right to do these things. Now, this compensation is inventing something, and it's what it is is so subtle and so insidious because your body and your mind do it like that. You don't even think about it. Your computer doesn't even have to have a button pushed. It operates automatically. You'll find yourself, if somebody's going through the unit and saying, where are the ashtrays? You say, all of a sudden, I don't have them. You find that you judge yourself guilty in many situations. Now, I ask you once again to be honest with yourself. Look for, if I'm not picking the exact identical thing that happens to you, look for one that's similar in yourself, and you'll realize that we play this dangerous game without ever even thinking about it. Defensive devaluation. 
DD. Defensive. This could also be termed in lay terms the great put down. Because this is where, in order to make yourself feel okay, what we do is that we devalue the other person. We focus on the weakness of the other people around us. When we're pushed and cornered because of our alcoholism or anything else, then what we do is we slam the other guy down. Sure, I drink a lot, but not as much as Tom does. All of a sudden, the focus is on Tom, not on me, right? This business of defensive devaluation takes place when you're sober, and you find it sometimes in the, in the hierarchy of AA, where some people have been sober for a long time, look down on other people. All of us forgetting the very, very primitive fact that you and I are all one ounce away from disaster, and that if you drink, you're going to get drunk, and you're going to get unruly, and if I drink, I'm going to get drunk, and I'm going to get unruly. Yet there is defensive devaluation that we do to other people even when we're sober. And it's something to remember. What were we talking about? We're talking about defensive devaluation. Now we got another one. And I hope you kind of take mental notes on these because as the days go by in this unit, you're going to find yourself reacting with the still existing alibi system you got inside you. Our departure from reality and from everyday life has given us a need for these things. And when you get out of here, you're going to find that you're going to be instant guilty on a lot of things. Well, you aren't, on account of you have been before. You follow what I mean? The old guilty is that transistor is operating very beautifully in there. Displacement. Displacement is when we substitute something acceptable for something unacceptable. Substitution is the thing that people who don't have a drinking problem or are not alcoholic do, too. Substitution is when you want to sell somebody, you give me a pain in the ass. And instead you say, you give me a pain in the neck. Do you realize what we've done? We've substituted the ass for the neck. The, the neck is permissible to talk about and the fanny is not. Now, displacement in the thing like this is, I only drink with meals, never after meals. I only drink with other people, never alone. I never drink whiskey from a shot glass, always mixed. I'm putting three kids through school, I can't be an alcoholic. Incidentally, one of the things we have to remember is the real world in which we live, 3% of the alcoholics in this real world are on skid row. That's about 300,000 people only. There are nine and a half million alcoholics. The rest of the alcoholics, 9.2 million alcoholics, live in homes just like yours. But they are not in the terminal stages of this disease. And that's one thing. When you compare yourself, compare yourself with yourself, not with some guy that's down on the Bowery or the Bum. Because that's not you and you know it. But you're just as alcoholic. You're just as alcoholic as he is. Projection. We project not the one of planning next week. The projection that we do <clears throat> This is a case where we defend a negative's motive by attributing that motive to others. This is the same thing kind of like your externalization. 
Sure, I'm going to cheat on John because John is cheating on me. Sure, I'm going to cheat on Mary, my spouse, because Mary, my spouse, is cheating on me. Sure, I'm going to drink a lot because you drink a lot. I'm setting myself up to be controlled by other people on the outside. Takes one to know one. Right? That's a defense. Somebody naps you on an error. You're no good, so I'm going to be no good, too. And if I said to you, would you like to follow me out the window, would you do that and go smash on the, on the asphalt out there? No. When it pleases us, we then allow ourselves and attribute these motives to other people. You follow what I mean? Only when it pleases us. Only when it goes and lets us and it defends our habit. This business of projecting. We project on other people. Another one we've got is withdrawal. And this is not like the withdrawal with the shakes. Withdrawal. This is a very serious thing that happens to us. It's when we actually start to withdraw from reality. We say, I didn't fail. I did not choose to try. And you think about your own life, and if this has been an attitude that you have had at certain times, it's an extremely dangerous one, because you're walking away from the world. You're walking away from so-called normalcy. I didn't lose. I didn't choose to run. This is the guy who's supposed to make vice president and doesn't. I didn't do all those, uh, those dirty political tricks. I don't control my drinking because there's no need to control my drinking. Right? The problem is that we really do care about the result. We pretend we don't. We say, huh, I'm withdrawing from this reality, and we pretend that we don't. But inside, you and I do care very much about what's happened to us. Identification is another curiously interesting one. Well, I'm just going to make that into a small ID. <coughs> Virtually every one of you have used this, and usually within the first four minutes of coming into this hospital. And it goes this way. I know a man who drinks a quart of liquor and lives on my block, and he goes to work every day, and he's not an alcoholic, and he's never had any problem. How come? I know a man who drinks two pints of booze, two pints of booze every single day on the job, and he never got in trouble, and isn't in trouble with his shop steward or the union or with the employer or anything. How come? Identifying with somebody else who's able to handle alcohol. Look at Winston Churchill. Look at him. There's no known evidence that he either is or is not an, an alcoholic. Whether Sir Winnie is and was an alcoholic or not is specious. Whether the man down the street can drink a quart a day, can drink five quarts a day, has nothing to do with you and your system and your alcoholism, except in the immature thing called alcoholic jealousy. You know what that is? That's when you're jealous of someone else's ability to drink. Oh, poor baby. They can drink and you cannot. So the identification is to always pick out somebody else who can handle it and say, if they can do it, why can't I? Because you're an alcoholic, that's why. I don't know about them. I don't know about the people we talk about, the man down the street who drinks the quart. He's not in this hospital for treatment. You are. If your way is so successful, and if you are able to cope with life and with alcohol, then what the hell are you doing here? 
Look at Winston Churchill. Look at Hemingway. Look at Ulysses S. Grant. Undoing. There are times that you and I would dearly love to be able to say, Dear God, let me live yesterday over again to not do what I did. And the best thing or the thing we work out in our mind is to finally say, Hey, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. I didn't mean to do whatever it is you did. And in your own mind, if you will be smart and if you will be honest, you will search through for the worst day when there was one when you lost control. And then you realize that there was nothing in your power that you could do to undo the damage. And yet you and I play this game. We buy flowers, candy, mink coats, college education. Psychiatrists know very well that people who are sick, like you and I are sick from alcohol, tend to equate money and love together. And instead of listening to the kid, we say, here kid, here's a dollar, go have a good time. We don't give people ourselves, we give people, children, spouses, money. Autism. I said in a moment ago that we're sick. And I want you to understand that alcoholism is not the symptom of any other disease. It's not the symptom of any underlying personality problem you may have. I don't care what that is. Alcoholism and the personality problem may be only connected like a handshaking way. That's all. One didn't cause the other, and the other didn't cause alcoholism. Chances are, if you drink a lot, the drinking creates your problems rather than your problems creating your drinking. That's because you're an alcoholic and because you have passed the line into addiction. And there is no, it doesn't make any difference why you drink. In this business of autism, this is where we start to live in a fantasy land that becomes more and more real as time goes on. The big problem with alibis and defense mechanisms is that we begin to believe them. We begin to not be able to separate fact from fancy. We begin to honestly believe that I've got to drink because of this, this nervous condition I have, which makes me twitch, and the alcohol works and helps me. And we build an ever-increasing cycle that makes it worse and worse and worse and worse. The autism is a thing like Walter Mitty. The flights of fantasy, it's the kind of thing that you say, okay, when I own the company, I will, uh, I'll get rid of him. He's really the, all the problems I've had, and you don't even have a job anymore. It's when you are spinning fanciful dreams, and you're sitting there, and usually about the third or fourth drink, lots of times we do daydreaming at the cocktail hour. That's when we're about 21. That's when we're kids. That's when we don't know any better. And then as we become adults, we don't dream at the cocktail hour and then start to believe it. That's not the time for dreaming and thinking about when I buy the boat and you have a hell of a time paying this, this month's diner's bill, diner's club bill. If I could impress on you to try to find where you're shifting into this unreal, fanciful world where you say everything's okay. And it isn't. Because I've got to remind you again, you are sitting in the fifth largest private psychiatric hospital in the United States. And that you are here for a reason. 
And it's not because you have a great imagination, it's because you're in trouble with beverage alcohol, C2H5OH, which is an addictive drug to you. And that 95% of the people in this country can handle this addictive drug and they will never get drunk, but you do. 95% of the people can walk away from this addictive drug and you cannot once you start. And that's going to batter your face, it's going to batter your body, and it's going to batter your mind, and it's going to batter your ethics, and it's going to batter your morals until you are not the person that you would like to be. And that you're going to be living in a living hell continuously through the addiction to alcohol. This is not Elmer Gantry speaking. This is a man talking to you about alcoholism as a specific medical illness. And that you've got to stop playing games or you won't be around. You will be a millstone around other people's necks. You can be around, but you won't be around where you are now. Do you understand how serious it is? Can you understand that you and I must, under no circumstances, certainly not knowingly, ever put booze into ourselves? That is the most dumb crime there is. That's an idiot, idiot, idiot thing. I don't care how old you are. How mature you appear to be. Because the alcoholism in us is sitting there waiting. The dog brain is waiting. Go ahead, baby. You can do it. You can drink now. You've been withdrawn. You've been dry. You've been good boy. You can reward yourself. The siren song. Dog brain. Doesn't talk that way. Just makes you feel that way. It's a hot day. Cold beer be really good. No way. This is why you put it in your mind and you program yourself to automatically say no. N-O. Negative. <coughs> Autism is when you live in your own mind and you are not aware of how inappropriate you have become. That you do not realize that the dreams that you're making and the plans that you're making have little base of reality. They're not based on fact. They're based on fantasy. It becomes harder to overcome these ideas. Not impossible. Incidentally, this relapse business is a very serious problem. And those of you who have relapsed are going to find it maybe more difficult to get to the threshold of recovery, which is all we can do here. We bring you to the threshold of recovery because the recovery takes place outside the hospital. And you must work at it, otherwise it will not take place. How about you? And the other thing is the great cop-out that you and I use is, well, the doctor prescribed it. And this is where you've got to watch the psychotropic drugs, the tranquilizers, the smoothies, the ups, the downs, for trying to cure every single imbalance that you've got with a chemical. You've got to do it. You've got to understand that the recovery is your responsibility and yours alone. When we get in a unit like this, we finally come to a point of honesty. We really do. We come to a point of honesty of ourselves. We begin to say, okay, why am I lying? Why am I playing these games? Because I am. It's a fact. I can feel this rug underneath my feet, and I can see this place, and I can, I'm here. <coughs> and I can figure out why I got here. So we stop playing the game. And if you will, right now, the recovery that you can make is when you start to look at the fact, you say, oh, yeah, that's me. And you may have only operated one of these alibi systems, but one puts you in the boat. Chances are you've operated many more than that. It never gets better. It always gets worse. 
you cannot undo what you have done. That doesn't mean you've got to live with it for the rest of your life. What it means is you've got to be honest and say, hey, I did do that. My name is Barker. I'm an alcoholic, and I used to be a drunk. And I cannot change the fact that I used to be a drunk. But I tell you one thing I can do, and the way I can undo it positively is I won't be a drunk again. You're sitting right here now, and you're an alcoholic, and you're not drinking. And that right there, it makes news. That automatically puts you into a column where only 10% of the people who have this disease are where you even are today. And that when you walk out of here, if you drink, you will lose then your protected status and you will once again go back into the 10 million who are drinking. The 10 million who have a fatal, progressive, and incurable disease. Fatal, progressive, and incurable. And it will kill you. If you haven't signed in, sign in please and we will see you at 345 this afternoon. All right?